0: I mentioned that uh, our sending church is a a church called Buck Run Baptist Church, and I was on staff at that church for 12 years, and um, we, as a church, had some serious decisions to make, and we ended up relocating campuses. It was a long 20-year process, probably, but we relocated. We moved about five miles um, as the crow flies, and we built a 50,000-square-foot building. So we went from a 35,000-square-foot building to a 50,000-square-foot building. And our very first Sunday in that building, it was the soft launch. Um, We came up, I came up, and I told Buck Run that uh, after 12 years of service, uh, the Lord was calling me elsewhere to go plant. And so it was a statement that day that this isn't about um, a building, but this is about the mission. That was in November of uh, 2016 and, and in April of 2016, I, I got to preach kind of like my final sermon that I would preach there. I wasn't I didn't quite leave yet, but it was my time to, to preach and I was going to call and ask people uh, to move with us and, and many already had committed to it at that point. Uh, but it was, it was a time to cast vision for what it what we believed uh, God was calling us to do. And the title of that sermon that morning was, Investing for a Kingdom Return. I want to read an excerpt of that sermon, what I I preached that morning in April of 2017 to these people that I dearly love, the explanation of, this is why I'm leaving you. I said, this morning I want to further explain our vision of planting a next generation church in Fort Collins near the campus of Colorado State University. I I realized I was wrong in something I wrote. I said, God has given us a heart for the Mountain West. No, he broke it. Over 90% of the Mountain West does not identify with Christianity. The Mountain West has never uh, experienced a Christian, a true revival of spiritual awakening. In church history, we see that the most great movements of God start with young people. Many great movements of revival start on college campuses. There are 99 college campuses with athletic programs in the Mountain West. D1, D2, JUCO, NAI, etc. And we believe that Colorado State University is a strategic university in the Mountain West that has a dire need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus. This was in 2017. I said, today, at a school of 31,000 plus, it's estimated that less than 1,000 will attend a Christian, Christian worship service of any kind on a typical Sunday. That's only 3% of the college campus. Our hope and prayer is that we see a great movement of God on the campus of CSU and that it spreads to other campuses. Our goal is to create a discipleship pathway that allows students to hear the gospel respond and have the opportunity to be discipled because there is a natural coming in and going out that occurs we see the opportunity to spread the gospel over the mountain west as a group of students have been discipled and are graduating we will ask them to apply to jobs in target cities near target campuses we want to plant churches in other college towns we want to see churches multiplied all over the mountain west and then i say this we believe to reach the college campus, you have to reach the community around it. And to reach the community around it, you have to reach the college campus. Our vision is for the community and the campus. I said this in 2017. I had no idea how that would play out. Man, the Lord has been faithful with that vision. If you'll hear second service, you'll, you'll see this is going to be packed with college students. And uh, we've sent out our, our first church plant to a college town. I don't, when I preached this, I probably even, didn't even know Durango and Fort Lewis existed, right? But, uh, man, there they are, Durango and Fort Lewis. Uh, we have one there. We've got other targets. When we first moved out here, I probably didn't know about uh, Gunnison and Western. Like, I, I probably didn't know Alamosa and Adam I probably didn't know any of that. This is what I felt called to. And that morning, I asked uh, Buck Run, the people of Buckrun, the people who I love, to invest for a kingdom return. And that morning, they took up an offering. They took up an offering of, if my memory serves me correctly, of $38,000 in one morning, one one offering. It was, it was incredible. But even bigger than that, many of them started contributing monthly, giving something monthly. Uh, one lady who you've heard me talk about many times, uh, she's with the Lord now, but she gave her entire Social Security check. To Overland. When it came in the mail, she said, "I don't need it." It was like twelve hundred dollars. Twelve hundred dollars every month she gave to help plant this church. Uh, there's stories of there, there's a little faithful widow who gives twenty five dollars a month and has been given twenty five dollars a month since twenty seventeen in order uh, to plant this church. Still, even even today, there's there's couples, friends, people that we love who who are giving up to two hundred dollars a month. While they're still tithing, while they're still contributing elsewhere. And we're talking about normal, everyday, common people. We're not talking about wealthy people. It's not like they're doing this from their their abundance. No, they're doing it from their little. And I would like to think, with their investment in the kingdom, they're getting their return. I like to think that their ROI is pretty good. As we approach this text this morning, and um, remember, we've been preaching uh, through the book of Luke since uh, the end of November of 2022, and in God's sovereign hand and God's sovereign plan, this is our text for today. And so as we open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, here's the big truth that I want us to walk away with. We are called to be faithful stewards of the gospel. If you are a Christian. If you are in Christ. If Christ is in you. If at some point you realize your need. You realize that you were a sinner in need of a savior. If at some point you have realized that the only way that man can be saved. Is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial and resurrection on the third day. If the Lord has transformed your life. He's called you to be a faithful steward of the gospel. And we want to be a church that's full of faithful stewards of the gospel. So start reading with me in verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore... Uh, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. Okay, a mina, real quick, as we're reading this, so you're not confused. It is, um, you might have seen it as ten pounds, but it was about three months wages. So it's a significant amount of money. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made 10 minutes more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your minna has made five minnas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your minna which I had kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then do you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minute from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minutes. I tell you that to everyone who has more, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even when he has, what he, what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, remember, a parable uh, is a story that Jesus used to teach, and uh, it often has uh, they're very, uh, very simple meanings. It's using earthly, everyday things that people could understand, and he's relating them to spiritual matters. Often, when we open up a parable, read a parable, uh, often we try to do too much with it, and we try to draw. Uh, implication and application from every little point, and typically parables have one large meaning. And the the meaning of this, we we read it. It's the calling uh, to be faithful stewards of the gospel. That is the point of the parable. Parables, as they're 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 read, they 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 have meaning, we get to un unpack them. So. Let's uh, start there with verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because, that, because he was near to Jerusalem. Remember, he's leaving Jericho. Uh, he's, just, he's just been with a blind beggar at the gate. He's been with Zacchaeus. He is on his way. The story after this is actually the triumphal uh, entry. We're entering Jesus's last week of life. And so, because he's getting near to Jerusalem, and uh, they would have been expecting that as he comes to Jerusalem, all these prophecies of old would have been fulfilled. And so, and because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, all right, so this is why he's telling this, par- this parable. And so, here's the next big idea. We're called to be faithful as we wait on the return of Christ. They thought that he was going to usher in the kingdom. They were looking for a political kingdom. They were looking for Jerusalem to be taken back over with Jewish control. They wanted the, the Roman government thrown out. The Pharisees actually uh, the considered themselves oppressed and wanted to get that oppressor out of the house so that they could be in the house. And so... Um, They they want this political movement. They want to see the the kingdom ushered in in this way. And so he's cutting them off. Here's what they didn't understand. The kingdom of God was standing in their midst. Listen to some of the stuff that Jesus taught. He said in Mark chapter 1, he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Luke 4, where we've been, he says, um, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Luke 17, we've read that. He says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's saying, I'm standing right here. He says, it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He just cast out a demon. If it's by by the hand of God that I cast out demons, and it was, here I'm standing there. But there's a, a beautiful thing in scripture that we see that we see from the Old Testament prophecy into the, the New Testament prophecy that we, were, he was in, we we live in the church age or the already not yet. He was making his way towards the cross. He had just told them. He had told them what that he would he was do that he would go up, that he would be beaten, that he would be crucified, hung on the cross. He told them to be uh, raised on the third day. They just couldn't comprehend. They couldn't couldn't see it. And so here they're they're off again. And so, in telling this parable, he tells them a parable that they could understand. They could easily relate to. So, when you start studying this parable, what you'll find is that most scholars, uh, and this is a a very wide agreement here, that uh, this parable probably had in view a a historical event uh, that took place 30 years earlier in the the, uh, Jewish nation's history. In 4 B.C., King Herod died, and uh, shortly before the annual celebration of the Jewish Passover. So when he died, he divided his kingdom among his four sons, each of whom received one-fourth of the kingdom, and they were called tetriarchs. So you've, you've heard that, you've read that in Scripture. The son that received Judea, among other areas, was uh, his son, his name was Archelaus. He inherited his authority over the territory from his father, Archelaus was one of the most hated and despised rulers of the Jews during their entire history. So just months after Archelaus's father died and the celebration of the Passover in Jerusalem, Archelaus slaughtered 3,000 Jewish wor- worshipers. Um, it was a bloodbath. Uh, many, many worshipers at that point like fled the city. Uh, it made the news. That's what I want you to know. Like they went back home, and it made the news. They the people knew what happened. So, for Archelaus to be formally crowned king of the territory, he had to go to he had to go to Rome, and he had to have the Roman emperor approve his authority by anointing him king. So Archelaus went to Rome for that purpose, and a delegation of rough, roughly fifty Jews. And, uh, and mixed with some Samaritans, which was a miracle in itself, went to Rome and they pleaded against his appointment. And this is what they said. Uh, Josephus records that they said, he's a wicked man, a brutal man. He has slaughtered his own people. Please, Caesar, do not confirm him as king. The emperor did not uh, confirm Archelius as king but did allow him to retain his title as tetriarch. So he returned to his territory where he ruled until A.D. 60, a period of 10 years after which he deposed because of his brutality and the people's petition to get rid of him. At that time, Rome appointed a governor such as the one named Pontius Pilate. So this story would have been well known in Jericho um, Archelaus actually had built the aqueduct that was in Jericho in an elaborate palace uh, and he had a residence there so as he tells this story every every Jewish person is picking up on this is who Jesus is talking about as he paints this parable uses this picture they're going okay we can relate it's kind of hard for us to, to relate to the a nobleman going and claiming his kingdom but in their world, um, it, it's their, their king, their governor whatever, their tetriarch is being appointed and it's being handed to them. When you hear, when we read this, we think, oh man, what a severe ruler. And they read this they hear the story and they're like, yeah, he's a severe ruler. Uh, absolutely. So... Um, keep reading, verse 12. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so, I'm going to kind of get things out of order here. I'm going to kind of mix some things up. And so as, as we read this, um, I want us really to look at, at verse 14. So re- remember what the nobleman did. Remember that he called his servants. Uh, uh, he had three servants. He gives them um, uh, he gives them the, the minas. And uh, from there, we're going to see what happens. His citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Here's the next big idea. Many will be faithless and many will hate Jesus and his kingdom. Yeah. We see that in scripture. We, we see a, a, a great warning in scripture. Is this parable saying, hey, many many hated the, hated the ruler. Uh, so what we see in scripture is that many will hate Jesus. There's no doubt about it that many would hate Jesus. Many would be the ones who would go crucify him, crucify him. We often talk about, as Jesus went from town to town, the number of followers he had, but what you have to remember, that there were more people who were against Jesus than there were that were for Jesus. And so, within his, within his kingdom movement, there were many who wanted him dead. Many will be faithless and hate Jesus and his kingdom. And I would just give you a warning as a follower of Christ. What did, what did Jesus say to his disciples? They hated me. You think they're not going to hate you? You think you're not going to endure persecution? We're going to talk about stewardship and faithfulness. Do you know that we're called to be faithful even if? Even if you're persecuted. even, Even if it costs you something. Especially when you're persecuted. Especially when it costs you something. Remember my last big idea. And I said, we've got to be faithful as we wait on the return of Christ. They didn't quite get it. But as Christians, we know we've got to be faithful as we wait on the return of Christ. That means we have to be faithful in persecution. In this story, what do we see about the ones who uh, were against, against him? His citizens hate him. They send a delegation saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Look down at verse 27 at the very end of this passage. He says, but as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This was the kind of thing that Archelaus did. We look at that and we go, man, that is a severe king. But as we look at this parable, we have to look at it and go: Is that painting a picture of who Jesus is? Is He a severe Savior? Well, yeah, He is, but maybe not how you think. One thing you gotta realize: Jesus is not God is not unfair. God is just, and He is also gracious. And those two things do not contradict. Even the fact that he didn't usher in the kingdom then was grace, was showing um, his mercy on those who who, who would hear and harden their hearts. Now what we know, because we have the rest of the Bible, in the rest of the Bible we see that, yeah, Christ will return and there will be a day of judgment. And he will rule and he will reign as he establishes his kingdom. And those who aren't for him are against him. And so there will be those who have rejected Jesus, who have hated, hated God, who will experience justice and the due punishment, which is the wrath of God. However, what we see is a, a God who's gracious, a God who in the church age gives the church the mission To expand the kingdom by proclaiming the gospel, by telling people the good news of Christ, that they might repent, that they might turn and believe. And so, we've got to know that there will be those that were faithless. There will be those who who reject Christ and His word. But I don't think it's the main point of the parable. This is what I think is the main point of the parable. Verse 15. He returned, having received king, the, the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know that they had, what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minas has made 10 minas more. And so, you know, I, I said, this is, this is about uh, three months wages. It actually was a hundred days wages. Like that was the exact, exactly what it was supposed to be it was a hundred Days' wages, so um, all of a sudden it's not a hundred days' wages; it's a thousand days' wages. And he said, "Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities." And the second came saying, "Lord, your minna has made five minas, so now five hundred days' wages." And he said to him, "And you are to be over five cities." And then another said, Here's your minna, which I laid kept away in a handkerchief, because I was afraid of you, because you were a severe man. And so his minna made nothing. It made nothing. And he and he's honest. He says, I'm afraid of you because you're a severe man. And so he says, he, he makes this accusation. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Now, I don't think we can read anything into that. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank at my coming? I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has the ten minnas. And so he takes it away and he gives it to the faithful steward who had stewarded stewarded it well cries out. And he said to him, "Lord, he has 10 minutes. What are you doing? Like this is this is the the socialist heart cry of our age. Like wh- why are you giving it to the capitalist? Stop it." And he says to him, "I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away." Here's the next big idea. God will multiply the efforts of those who steward the gospel faithfully. This is the point of the parable. That those who steward the salvation that God has given them, that they steward well the good uh, the the gospel faithfully, they steward it well, he will multiply their efforts. It's our 5 year anniversary as a church, and I think this passage hits us in a, in a in a really good place. As we think about the next five years, the next 10 years, the next 50 years, what are we going to do? How are we going to steward what God has given us? I want to talk about this in one aspect individually, because we are a community of believers. We are one body, many members And what one person does affects what the rest of us do. And when one of us is sick, the whole body is sick. If if, if some of us are unhealthy, the whole body is unhealthy. And so I want to talk about this individually, but then also as a, a, a congregation, as a community of disciples who live life together. Here's the first thing that I want you to know. Everyone is investing in something every one of us and whether you think you are or you don't think you are you are you have been giving something every christian in the room and and truly uh, every every non-christian or every person who's like yeah I, I don't believe that you you still have your time your talents and your treasures and you are investing them somewhere Every one of us, we spend our life and we figure out what we want to invest it in. Some of us don't think about it. Some of us don't put any thought into it. Some of us think greatly about it. And here's the truth you can either invest in the world, you can invest in the pursuits of the world. You can be tossed to and fro by every new cunning thing of the world. You can invest with keeping up with the neighbors. You can invest in some sort of worldly pursuit. But you must know that it will all pass away. Or you can invest in the kingdom of God that lasts forever. I, 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 you've heard me say this as a pastor no telling how many times in this past five years is what you're doing will it matter in a million years will it matter this time next year and you you need to to answer that question the next thing that you should understand is that everything you have is his everything you have came from god you need to understand that listen uh the, the man who had ten minutes he understood it. Listen to what he said. He said, Lord, your minna has made ten minas more. He understood it was his. It was the Lord's. Everything in it was the Lord's. And so what did he say? Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And so we must use our talents that God gave us. God gave you gifts. The scriptures are clear that if you have professed faith in Christ, you you are a new creation in Christ. The old man has gone, the new has come. If you would say Galatians 2:20 is you, I have been crucified with Christ; it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. If that is you, It is Christ who lives in you, and Christ gave you gifts and talents to use. Have you ever um, known an an athlete, somebody that just had um, incredible, natural, athletic ability? And you're in high school, and you look at that kid, that guy, and you're like, man, he could go pro. He's got the gifts, he's got the talents, but he wastes them. He doesn't eat well. He's pursuing worldly pursuits. He's caught up in this. He's not working out. Um, this was true of me. I, I, I had a guy that I went to high school with who was absolutely hands down the best player on the field. His name was Anthony. And if you looked under Anthony, the next player down, uh, this, Evan, if you ever hear this, don't hurt me. But you were Evan was like four or five steps under Anthony. Evan... Ended up playing on the Baltimore Ravens as a cornerback with Ed Reeves. He was in the glory years of the Ravens. Anthony went to jail. He didn't use his talents. He wasted his talents. Spiritually, do you see people like that? Spiritually, it's like, oh, they've been gifted. God has done a work in them. But yet, they're wasting them. They're, They're not training they're not developing. You may sit here today and go, "I know I don't think I have many gifts for ministry. I don't think God's really equipped me to do uh, anything in the church." That's a lie. Smells like smoke. Probably came from Satan. Satan would love for you to believe that, right? But here's the problem: you've you've probably maybe sat in the seat thinking this is my spiritual gift. It's holding this seat down right here. That ain't it either, right? You need, to, you need to work to train to develop them. We, we do things. We, we're not perfect at this by any means. But we have ministry fairs, and we have people who come to ministry fairs, and we uh, provide opportunity to plug in. When you start volunteering in a ministry, we're going to open up ways in which you can serve uh, more. We, have a, we had a servant team gathering, a serve team gathering that we had here last night. We had a whole bunch of people in this room. Um, we, we help invest in those folks. We do something called the Servant Leadership Cohort. Uh, there's going to be, there's one started this past September, it's our, our first group, uh, they, will, they will finish that in May. We're going to do another one in the summer that will be more, it'll be shorter, so same material, so it's going to be more intense. Uh, and then we're going to start another one in September. I would tell you that there are people in that servant leadership cohort who, who came and every one of them, I shouldn't say everyone, but most every one of them looks at it and goes, man, this is the best thing we're doing. This is, this is incredible, and we have people who were not serving uh, we're not leading in ministry every step of the way or like moving up our, our pipeline in serving. So I'm telling you, develop the talents that God has given you. Use them. Second, you must steward your, your treasures for the kingdom of God. We've got to keep doing this. I want to say, we're a young church and we have done this. We're doing it, but we have to keep doing it. If, if the next uh, next five years, the next 10 years, the next 50 years, we're going to continue to reach uh, Fort Collins and the campus. And we're going to continue to plant churches and pe- send people out. We're going to have to steward our houses, our belongings, to to have, to, to have hospitality, to host people, to, to bring people in and care for them. We're going we're gonna to have to steward our finances. We're going to have to sacrificially give. We'll have to continue. Many of you tithe; you give ten percent of your income. We will have to continue to do that. We we must. It is the best decision that you make with your finances. It's a decision to steward them for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. There's one thing more expensive than your than your your treasures. That's your time. You must use your time. You must use your time and invest it for the kingdom of God. If I'm too busy to serve comes out of your mouth, you know what you need to do? Rearrange your life. You you need to change some things. Some things need to be on the cutting block. You need to look and go, I'm spending my time doing this and is this going to matter a year from now? Five years from now? Ten years from now? A hundred years from now? The man who who planted uh, Buck Run Baptist Church, our ascending church. His name was John Taylor. And John Taylor, if if you can read about his life, John Taylor planted not one church, but ten churches. And those ten churches that he planted, can you imagine the investment that they made how many other churches there are now? In the 1980s, one of the pastors of, of Buck Run, his name was Bob Jackson, he started a mission called Romanian American Missions. And he and this guy named Christy Kivu got together and, and they had a heart from Romania and they would go and they took uh, many, many mission trips over and they started a handful of churches in Romania. And, and that movement happened when the European Union happened and the gypsy people, some of these gypsy Romanians that they had reached had come to Christ. When the European Union happened, they're like, We're mobile, we can pick up and go anywhere. And do you know that now there are over 400 churches in Europe that came out of the Romanian-American mission because Bob Jackson had a vision to invest his life there. We've got to invest our time. We've got to uh, move our time around. We've got to shuffle it uh, around. At At our church, our mission statement is simple. We want to glorify God by proclaiming Jesus Christ. And if we are going to do it as a church, what does that mean that we have to do as, a, as an individual member? Yes, we do it collectively, but we also have to do it singularly. And so, for us, as we, as we I said, I want to look at it individually, I want to look at it as a congregation. Here's the questions we must ask. Are we glorifying God by proclaiming Jesus Christ? We've got those four pillars that our church is built on. Proclaim, disciple, serve, and multiply. As a community of believers, we've got to continue to be faithful with the gospel. We've got to be faithful with the word of God. I I pray that we have been faithful these five years. That we have not uh, shied away from God's word. That we've not put ourselves over the authority of God's word. But we've stood under the authority of God's word. That we've boldly proclaimed. Like Paul says in Romans 1.16. That we've been unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. However... We've said all along it's not just from the pulpit. We're not being faithful as a church if it's just from the pulpit, but it has to be throughout our daily lives. And so then we have to ask the question, are we sharing the gospel, are people coming to Christ, and are we discipling them? A disciple is a learner follower of Christ. Uh, We we say that a disciple is a radical, reproducing, lifelong follower of Christ. Are we making disciples? Are we discipling disciples? The next generation. If you look, man, it is so healthy on a Sunday. The number of kids that we have on any given Sunday—it uh, is a very good chance that fifty percent of the people who are gathered here are under the age of twenty-two. Is that not incredible? That that there will be in like if you take this section right here on this side today, there will be that many kids in kids ministry today. It's incredible. So, uh, but between the services. Uh, we, we'll, our, our students, man. We've got to see our, our students, our sixth through twelfth grader, continue, uh, uh, to continue to grow, to continue to learn, to serve, to train them in order that we can send them out. And man, praise God, our college ministry. That we've seen so much happen in our college ministry. We've seen uh, so many people get on board with being discipled and growing deeper in love with Jesus. Within our adult ministries, the four the four ways in which we as adults so with our, with our Sunday morning, our uh, Bible study groups, our community groups, and our uh, relational discipleship groups—they're growing. But we have to keep we have to keep our focus on them. We have to keep the foot on the gas. As a church, we must continue to be committed to being servant leaders in the community. And on the campus in the church. We, at the end of the day, this has to be a church that is uh, that is full of people who are servants, because Jesus came not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve and to give His life for a ransom for many. And we must be faithful to continue to multiply, to raise up church planters, to raise up church planting teams, and send them out, and not just in the Mountain West. I pray for the day. Where we're sending not just in the Mountain West. But all over the United States. And all over the world. We've got to continue to be faithful. In multiplication of our finances. That as we think through as a church. As we collectively pull our money together for the kingdom of God. That we steward it well. That we spend it well for God's glory. That we don't spend it on trivial things or stupid things. But we invest where God's kingdom is. You know. Our, our church uh, was given an incredible gift that we started in a physical building on day one of our church. So December 30th of 2018, Southside Baptist Church closed its doors and right here, they passed the baton off to us and they, they handed us a key to that front door. Actually, well, not that front door, but a front door. And I like to think that we very frugally and very cost-effectively have stewarded this building. It looks like a radically different place, and that is because many of you have used your time and talents to, I don't know, Simeon, paint the ceiling. I, I think three of those. One of the first things that we did was paint this stupid ceiling. It was like 30 gallons of white paint, and Simeon did it. What? 55. Incredible, right? We, we've, we've transformed this building, but I think we have to look like the, the Lord has given us a blank canvas. We have to look to the, to the future. Uh, at, at our next family meeting, I want to commission an exploratory team led by Randy Kenyon that's looking at our, our piece of property in this facility and is exploring the question of what do we do from here? Do we only plant churches? Maybe. Do, do we have to have multiple? We, these two services, we are filling them up. Do we go to three services? Uh, do we add on over here? Can we add parking? Can we afford it? Like we've got a steward, just an exploratory team to look at it, to go, what do we do next? We have to be faithful stewards of the people God has given us, the disciples God has given us, the resources God has given us. In the end of that sermon that I preached in 2017, here are my closing thoughts. You're one of these three things. You're either refusing, meaning you've heard the message of the gospel and you're refusing to believe it. You can't invest in what you don't possess, you're wasting it. You've heard the message of the gospel, believe in it, but aren't making an investment. You can't replicate what you don't imitate. You've heard the message of the gospel. This is investing. You believe in it and are making an investment that will have a return like no other earthly investment. Church, I'm looking forward to the next five years, to the next 50 years, because we get to be faithful stewards of all God has given us. Father, we love you and we praise you, and I pray that we would be found a faithful church. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. That we would be like the servant who takes the 10 minas and invest it and we see 10 times its growth. That we would be faithful and that God that you would do far more than we could ever ask, imagine, or think. Lord, we pray that by everything we do, it would be about your glory and your honor. It would be about your kingdom and your name's sake. Father, I pray for those in the room who want to live a life invested for the kingdom. Give them the boldness to do it, the discipline to do it, the zeal to do it for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and respond.